right? Some of the most famous words in modern American history. That was spoken uh, January 20th, 1961, so 56 years ago, just over 56 years ago. But that, you know, that means probably the majority of us here, whether not born or not old enough to remember that, uh, but there's probably not one of us who hadn't heard that quote before, right? I mean, it's one of those words spoken that just, we all heard it, we all know it. Now, let me ask you this. What, what was he saying with that quote? We, again, we know it says, ask not what you can do, what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. What was he saying? I mean, it's pretty self-evident. Well, let's see if we can just simplify even more. He's basically saying, don't be selfish, right? And that's not near as eloquent as what he actually said. I don't think he could have stood up there that day and says, don't be selfish. The message wouldn't have gotten across. But that was the point, right? That quote that hit the heart of so many people was saying, don't live a life in this wonderful place we live in where you constantly go, what do I get out of it? Don't live a self-centered existence of going, what will this place do for me? Instead, ask what I can do. What can I contribute? Well, that, was a, that was an awesome reminder of the call that's put on us. Now, I don't know if JFK understood it that day, if he meant to, to do this or not, but he really was speaking some biblical truth. Now, that quote obviously is not from the Bible, but there's some biblical truth behind it. Because if you go look in God's Word, He is constantly telling us and showing us and teaching us that we are not to live a selfish, self-centered life. We're not to be users, where we're just going around and using the things and the people around us until they're done and destroyed. We're to be ones who contribute. In fact, we're supposed to be ones who serve. We're supposed to go out and serve the needs around us. We're supposed to go and disciple and teach. We're supposed to go love our neighbor. I mean, God has been constantly trying to tell us that we are not to live for what we can receive, but instead what we can contribute, what we can give back. So if that's true from God's Word... I think we can take that kind of famous quote and kind of reapply it to some other things in our life. So we could say it like this, maybe. Ask not what your friends can do for you. Ask not what your co-workers or your bosses can do for you. Ask not what your spouse can do for you. Teenagers, ask not what your parents can do for you. Parents, ask not what your kids can do for you. Well, that's tough for me because that's why I had kids, for the things they could do for me. I mean, they could do all my chores. Ask not what your kids can do for you. How about, well, what about this one? Ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church family. See, the truth behind it is, and the Bible shows that if we live a selfish, self-centered existence, if we, all we do is use and all we do is take in the relationships around us, whether that's in our family, our jobs, our friends, or our church, or yes, the country we live in, if all we are is takers, what are we doing? 
we're destroying. We're sucking the life out of that person, that entity, that organization. And we're just going to use and use until we've, until we've killed it, until we've ruined it. Go look at marriages that have fallen apart and been destroyed. What happened? It was a using relationship. They got used so much, all the love was gone. Go look at friendships that got ruined. Typically see one person, maybe even both, who were users. Not giving back, but what can I take from this relationship? You see it all over. And it's true of our country. If, if, you know, if we live in a place where everybody just says and demands, what can my country do for me? What can they give me? What am I entitled to? Well, guess what's going to happen to our country? If everybody has that kind of attitude of, what am I going to get? What am I going to receive? Instead of, what will I give back? It's going to fall apart. And some would argue maybe that's what's happening. Now, the problem is, the last place this attitude should appear is in our churches. But sadly, I think that's where it appears maybe as much as any place. The attitude of people coming to church and saying, what are they going to do for me and how are they going to meet my needs and how are they going to do this? How am I, how am I going to take? How am I going to use? That's not the word spoken, but that's the heart. And not with the heart of what can I bring? Why did God call me to this place? Why did he give me the talents for to, to serve here? That's not the question that's asked. Now, do we get a lot out of being a church family? Absolutely. But God didn't call us to be in a place where all we do is give and get nothing back. We learn that as we give, we get back abundantly. And we do come to church because we do have needs and we see that they're met and provided for and we just live that an example of that. But if you come to a church, any church, this church, another church, with the attitude of what is this place going to do for me, how is it going to meet my needs, it's all about me, and I'm going to use, 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 and take, take, take. And if you have a place full of people like that, what are you going to do? You're going to kill it. Now this morning we continue in our series of a healthy family, a growing family, as we go through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're talking about what makes a healthy home family, what makes a healthy church family. And then when we look at health, we see growth. And as we go through 1 Corinthians, you've got to remember we're dealing with a church from long ago that was not a healthy church. Like it was a dying church. And I wasn't there that day, but we can see as we read about uh, this church of Corinth, we can see that they were not healthy. We see their issues, we see their divisions, and it's causing problems. And we're going to continue looking at it this morning. In fact, this morning as we continue on, I want you to see this as we're in part seven of how a church dies. Now, I'm, a, I'm giving you already ahead of time. I don't, I don't want you to tune out from me beyond this point, but I'm giving you ahead of time kind of the main point, what I'm trying to get at. I want you to get the big picture. I want you to understand that how a church dies is when it is filled with people who are users and takers. Now, let me say a word of caution and warning, because this is not Greg standing up here and preaching at Bono. I don't want you to, I've said this before through the series, and I want to say it again. The book of 1 Corinthians is kind of a tough book. It addresses a lot of negative things. Not, I'm not using these passages to say, hey, Bona, I'm really talking to you. No, that's not what's going on at all. We're saying let's examine a church from long ago who had these problems. Who was a, they were a dying church. 
And then let's just stop and consider our own selves, where our role is. How are we doing? This is not for me to come and stand over you guys or in judgment of you guys. This is for all of us to kind of check down ourselves and what we see. This is God's word, and every bit of it's useful, every bit of it's God breathed, and we want to take it and go, all right, are you speaking to me today, and how can I do better? So I don't want you to think, I don't want the rumor starting that Greg says, bonus, that we're dying, and you know, that's not why, that's not it. We need a warning, though, because I will tell you this, Bono is not exempt. This church has been around since 1876. That's a long time. Okay? If you didn't know that, that's been around for a while. Bono is not exempt. It can absolutely die, but I want to tell you how it dies. If it ever would, it would be based on people who take, people who use, and that's what has happened so many times. So let's, let's take a warning this morning. This is not me coming and saying, look at you bad people. That's not at all. Saying, let's look at Scripture and say, let's take a warning of when it was being addressed in another situation and go, man, we never want to walk down that road. We never want to get there. So let's pay attention to these things. So we're going to be looking this morning as we continue this series, First Corinthians, how a church dies. Again, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to be starting verse 5. If you have your Bibles, you might want to look. Now, before I begin reading, I want you to look at this. Uh, I can tell you where we ended two weeks ago. So it's been a couple weeks ago. Uh, Paul was addressing, again, this church that had so much issue and so much problem, and he was kind of getting on to them about their immaturity, right? He was saying, I came, when I was with you first, I gave you the milk, the spiritual milk, the, big, the baby food, because that's what you were. You're baby Christians. And he says, now I came back and I wanted to give you the meat. I want to give you the tough stuff, the hard stuff, the good stuff, and you're not ready for it. And the immaturity says, he, we talked about the symptoms of that immaturity, the jealousy, the quarreling, the divisions. And the last thing we read two weeks ago was where Paul was saying, that he was talking about the divisions that were going on in the church. He was saying, some of you say, I follow Paul. Some of you say, I follow Apollos. And but early in the book, he talks about there's other divisions among other leaders. He's saying this, this popularity contest of their previous pastors. Paul was kind of pastor one. We think Apollo was probably the second pastor. And they're kind of, the, who was the most popular? Who do I follow? He's going to continue on this thought as we pick it up in Scripture this morning. Now, it's a little bit longer passage. Stay with me. There's a lot happening. But I think if we have a warning for us, if we have Scripture that says, hey, don't do these things or here's the result, I mean, you're going to be walking into a dying church if you do these things. I think we should pay attention. Let's keep ourselves engaged in God's Word this morning. Let's look at it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. It says this, What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Continue on to verse 10. It says, By the grace of God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. 
and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you're wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Now, again, I, it's a long passage. I told you it would be, and maybe you didn't catch everything out of it. But let me tell you, again, this church that he's, he's writing to, this church at Corinth, this church that, he, that Paul helped birth and start, like I said, they're in, in a bad place. They are, they are dying. They're not dead yet, but they're dying spiritually. They're on the way down. Because we can see, again, there's fighting and, and jealousy and divisions and sin and all these things. It's, it's going all about. There's all kinds of problems. They're on the wrong path. And so Paul, again, this really this whole letter, he's addressing all these issues. We're going to talk about this many times. But here we see in this passage, he highlights the mistakes they make. There's probably many mistakes, but I can kind of point out three different mistakes that the church is making. Now again, if we are to be students of history, and I like history, I better pay attention to the things that have happened before. So if I have a clear example of Paul looking at a church that's dying, that's got all kinds of problems, and he says, here's some of the mistakes you made, don't do these. And I'll already tell you that they turned it around. They stopped doing it, and things got better. Now, don't you think that in my own life and in my own church and all the things, that I should pay attention to the same things? I don't have to reinvent the wheel here. I don't have to come up with some new solutions. God has been telling us how to handle these problems. So Paul's addressing this dying church. And he lets them know the mistakes they're making. I want to tell you what they are. First of all, mistake number one. They overemphasized the role of the leaders. 
they overemphasize the role of leaders. Now you're going, what's the big deal about that? You know, I don't under, that's, that's, this, trust me, friends, this is a much bigger mistake than you realize. See, when we overemphasize the role of leaders, what are we immediately doing? He is going to take care of it. She is going to take care of it. This leader, the ministry head, the pastor is going to do it. I don't need to. What is that attitude? That is a self-centered, using type of attitude. See, the people here that day, they had forgot to be doing the work. They had stopped building. They had stopped going after it. And they, they were just sitting around going, remember the good old days when Paul was here? Oh, we loved Paul. He, what a great pastor he was. Oh, no, we had Apollos. We really loved him. He was a great pastor. You know what we need now? is just another good pastor. That'll fix all the problems. Friends, they were mistaken. So they overemphasize the role of a leader. A leader's a good thing. A leader can help. A leader can shepherd and give vision, all stuff. But if you put the load of the work on the leader, you will be disappointed. I, some of you, very actually probably very few of you know this. I've told a couple of you, but right before I came to Bono, uh, right before I, the, you know, I, I was contacted by some people here that said, hey, would you consider putting a resume in here? We'd like to maybe talk to you about being pastor. I said yes, and then the months went by, and we kind of it all worked out. But right before that happened, I'm talking a month, six weeks, before I first had contact with Bono, this is five years ago, I had another church uh, called me and wanted to begin conversations about me going to be pastor at that church. It was before I was talking to Bono. I wasn't cheating on you guys and like that. David's back there thinking, can we get the name of that church? I'll call them, see if they still need a pastor. Let's see if we can still go back on that. Right, brother? Love you. No, I was going, man, too bad. No, no it was just church, and, and they said, you know, I did, it's always somebody you know, and they, I knew somebody they knew, and they called me and said, Hey, you know, we're looking. And, and Penn and I both knew we were in a time of transition. You know, we, could, we had about six months of God just kind of showing, hey, yeah, I think this is about to happen. We're about to go somewhere else. And so I was kind of paying attention to these things. And so I started talking a little bit to this church, and I had a couple conversations. And pretty quickly, almost, almost immediately, I knew that, okay, now I don't think this is the place that God has for us right now. I don't think it's right. I said, I'm going to be obedient. And I want to kind of find out for sure, and I'll talk to him a little bit, and just kind of see what God's up to. But it was confirmed in me that a guy wasn't trying to send me there by one very specific thing. Uh, in fact, it was one thing that has happened multiple times. I heard from probably two or three or four people who served on the pulpit search committee the exact same comment. They, they were telling me about how the church had gone through a split. They had had a pastor come in who just, I mean, just, rolled right over the top of them. And I hate to hear those kind of things, kind of a my way, the highway type situation. He split the church, and he hurt a lot of people, and some, a lot of young families left, and, you know, also their, their church is hurting. And, again, all the youth, all the young people, young families, all the stuff, they had gone. And then I started hearing, again, from these uh, committee members. They kept saying, um, if we'll just get a young pastor... It'll all be fixed. Hey, David, can I turn this off? This is where you got to... Thank you, sir. They just said over and over again, it says, oh, we, if we'll just get a young pastor, all the problem, it, you know, all, all these people are going to come back. And I was going, oh, my. 
And I, I mean, I really prayed about, should I tell them how wrong their wisdom is in this? And I, I, the Lord didn't lead me to do that. I just eventually said, you know what, guys, I'm not called to come here. Thank you. Take my name off your list. I, I'm going to be going on somewhere else. And then I think Bono called the next week. And God, God was in all that. But see, these people, they had it in their heads. If we get the right leader, he's going to fix it all. Okay? Billy Graham could have come into that church, and the young families probably wouldn't have come back. You could get just the most awesome, charismatic leader, and you know what you're going to do? You're going to kill that leader by overworking him or her. Right? You can get the best children's minister, youth minister, pastor, whatever, Sunday school teacher, you know, all stuff. Oh, this leader, they're going to fix this. Now, leaders can be good things. They can help. They can give you a bigger picture. They can be good for accountability and, and again, just shepherding the right direction. But if you think they're going to do all the work, if you think theirs was going to fix the problems, you're going to be very disappointed in that leader. And what you're going to do is you're going to work that leader. You're going to burn them out, and they're going to go on and say, I can't take this anymore. Friends, when we overemphasize the role of those above us, it keeps us from doing the work. But we struggle with this attitude. Again, let's go look at our country right now. I'm not getting political, but just let me tell you this. this. There's this attitude, and it's not the first time our nation has dealt with this attitude. We just need the right leader. And some people think it's this one or that one. If the leader, thou, this person will come fix it. And they'll get, they'll get all my stuff that I need taken care of. Friend, that's a faulty attitude. The Israelites dealt with that back in the Old Testament. They said, you know what? We just, we're having some troubles really walking with God. We just need a king. Oh, this person, he looks the best. He's taller and more handsome than everybody else. Let's choose him. Cause him all kinds of problems. See, we have this attitude of saying, let's just get somebody else to do it. Let's get somebody above us. See, the people that day in the church of Corinth, they were all focused on, well, I'm a I'm a Paul person. Oh, man, I follow him. He did it. He's all... Every other group said, oh, no, we're Apollo. So he was the greatest pastor. He visited me when I was sick, and I love him. Also. And what were they forgetting to do? They were forgetting to do the work of God themselves. When you overemphasize the role of leader, you stop doing the work. That is a mistake that a dying church makes. The leader will fix it. The pastor will do it. Friends, you're going to get disappointed. You want to know the second mistake they made? They did not, the people, the people of the church, I'm not talking about the leaders, I'm talking about the congregation, the assembly of God's people, they did not care about the quality of the work they did. Now, the Bible teaches us a truth. It's saying whether we realize it or not, we are builders. Okay? Whether we even realize it or not, we are, when we come into something, when you come into a church, when your family, at your job, you are a builder. You're bringing something in. Now, it could be good or it could be bad. Now, first of all, before we ever get to the good or bad building, notice what Scripture said. It said, Paul said, I laid the one true foundation, which is Jesus Christ, and everything else must be built upon that. Friends, let me tell you, when you try to replace the foundation in church, in your marriage, with your friendships, 
with work, with everything. When you try to replace the foundation with something other than Jesus Christ, guess what? The building's going to fall down. I've said to couples doing marriage counseling, so we really love each other. That love is going to falter. That person is not going to be so loving, lovable, a few years down the line. If that's your foundation, it's going to crumble. And it's going to be very shaky ground. Christ is the only true firm foundation. Friends, there are churches, believe it or not, there are churches who are replacing Jesus Christ as the foundation of the church. You think I'm lying? You think a church wouldn't do that? I guarantee you, there are churches who are think they are social clubs. There are churches who will preach a truth so far away from the Bible, might as well not put the name of Jesus on it. Friends, there are churches who are trying to replace the foundation, and you watch it, over time, they crumble. Because it's not a true foundation. But if you have Jesus Christ as the foundation, every one of us are builders. Now, you notice the illustration Paul used. He said, some build with gold, costly stones. That's the quality work, right? That's the one who comes in and says, I care about the work that I'm doing. I'm in God's house, and it says, we are God's temple, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to bring my best. I'm not worried about what I can receive. I'm worried about what I can bring, and I'm going to build upon, and I'm going to serve. I'm going to work, because I know that God, I'll still get the benefit. God will still bless me, but I'm going to come with my best. And then there's some who bring, it says, the wood, the straw, and the hay. And oh, that's, is that really good? You want to go build a house? You want to go build a church? You want to go build a family with straw? Right? No. Perishable materials. Not good. I remember a, a couple of, a couple of years ago, probably, I was, uh, <coughs> I was at the house on the weekend. And just like you, we had to spend our weekend, you know, our week's busy, so over the weekend we tried to get a little bit of house cleaning done. You know, I got the projects to get done. And I remember going through the house, I think Penny was probably off the store doing some grocery shopping, getting that done, and she... All right, when you get some of these things cleaned, and so I was working on something house back and forth, who knows what, and well, I want the boys to work on something too. The boys, our, our boys have what's called their kid cave. See, the boys, they're still the age they get; they sleep in the same room. That is quickly coming to an end. I know it. You know, they're young; they like each other still. They sleep in the same room, but so we use the other bedroom as their kind of playroom. They call it the kid cave, and, and I've never in my life, Penny and I are both kind of messy people. We're not the most organized, you know. To like, we just. And our boys inherited that times 10. Because I have seen that room spotless, turned around, and it does like a bomb went off. I don't know how they do it, but they can just explode that room and toys everywhere. And so I, just, I was cleaning the house, and I went by the room, and I saw it was just so dirty. And I said, boys, come in here. I said, boys, y'all, you know, I'm cleaning. Mama's getting stuff done for the house. You guys need to start cleaning. Yes, Dad. So they get in there and start picking toys. Now, let me ask you, when you were a kid and you had to clean your room, your playroom, whatever you had, you started, what happened in about five minutes? Were you still cleaning? No, right? You found that toy that was hidden behind the shelf and whatever. I didn't know I still had that. Let me start playing with it. All kids do it. I get it. My kids are doing it. And, I, you know, every five minutes I walk by the room. And I, of course, I kept the door open, and they, sure enough, they're playing with something. Boys, get back to work. Yes, Daddy, we will. Get back to work. Now, five, fifth or sixth time of this happened, and I'm, I just kind of get fed up with it. And I kind of give them a talking to. Daddy kind of give them a talking to. Boys, I've asked y'all to clean up. 
mommy and daddy are doing stuff for the house. You guys need to clean. You made this mess. You need to clean it. And I don't want to come back here and see you playing again. I want you to get to cleaning. And I said, boys, I want this to be done. Quality work. And the boys look at me. Yes, sir. And I start walking off, and I hear Parker, our youngest, who was probably at four at the time. I go, he goes, brother. No, actually, I've got to say it like he goes. He goes, brother. I go, brother, what does quality mean? <laughs> and then Peyton goes, I don't know. <laughs> there was it just easier to say, yes, sir, you know, just move on. I said, of course, I couldn't melt when I heard the word quality. You know, I couldn't. I just was like, okay, I'm not mad at you anymore. It's fine. You know, that's just, he, they get away with the cuteness right now. But I love that. kind of, I was like, yeah. Dad said, do quality, do a good job. I'm like, I don't know what it means. I'm just going to kind of, you know, shove stuff under the rug and just kind of put stuff up. If they're kids, we forgive them. We get it from a child. But how do we still do this as adults? When we mature in the Lord, or we're supposed to mature in the Lord, and we come and we still bring less than our best. We realize we're coming into our family, our church family, our places of work, all these are places that we are builders, whether we realize it or not, and we can either build on with good things what God has given us, the abilities and talents that God has put on us, or we can build with poor things, with no quality, because we're not paying attention, because we hope somebody else will do the hard work. Friends, when you have a group full of people, when you have a family, whether that's two people, in your home family, or 2,000 in a huge church, if you have a group of people that have that kind of attitude, that whatever building I do, I don't want to worry about quality. You're going to kind of get done what I have to get done. And I'm going to hope that that person, that organization, that church meets my need above what i got to meet for them. That place is dying. That relationship is dying. And that church will die. when you don't worry about the quality of your building. Third mistake they made was this, and it's tied to the second one. The church then, the people then, they didn't worry about their legacy. They didn't think about what their poor work was costing them. It said, you know, Paul was writing him, he says, you build, and you're going to build with either good stuff or bad stuff. And the fire is going to come. Well, what's going to happen to those, that gold and that silver and the, and the costly materials when the fire comes? They can withstand it, right? What's going to happen to the wood and the hay and stuff? It's going to be burned up and consumed. It's going to be destroyed. He says, you may end up being saved because you trust in Jesus, but nothing you did will have had any lasting value. How does that make you feel about your work? He says, for those who are not worried about being good builders, about building something that lasts, all you're doing is leaving a problem for the next person. You're not worried about your legacy. This church wasn't worried about the next generation. The next people had to pick it up. They said, oh, I guess they'll take care of it. Church, for those of you who were here with us last Sunday, you saw the joy of our youth having a D-Now weekend. I love to see our kids when they're running around the church. Friends, these younger ones, they're going to inherit what we give them. Now, are we giving them 
a place full of problems and an attitude of somebody else will do it? Or are we watching the legacy that we leave? It hurts my heart when I see that sometimes we deal with things like, I'll use the example of our children's ministry. And we're begging and pleading. We need help. God has surely gifted some of you to help in this specific way. And then we don't see a response. Is that paying attention to our legacy? Is it easier not to think about that young boy or girl or that teenager who really needs to be discipled and encouraged and to have somebody helping put things on for them and teach them the Word of God? Is it easier just not to think about that person because, you know what, somebody else will handle that problem? What are you doing? Whether you realize it or not, you are building upon the foundation with weak things that will be destroyed. Because you say, I showed up. Well, I was willing to say an encouraging word. I was willing to pray with somebody. Those are good things, but they can be much more valuable, right? You can give much more. Hmm. So that was, a, that was a dying church back then. That was then. I told you, I said, we're looking at way back then. It didn't, when I wrote, was reading that passage, it didn't say at the beginning of it, Dear Bono Baptist Church, I'm talking to you. It's saying, hey, Church of Corinth, 2,000 years ago, this is you. But what it, it reads, it, it's a book we can open and go, okay, if it happened to them, if they were making these mistakes and it was costing them like this, and we could look at hundreds and thousands of other examples through the, through the ages where the same thing happened, should we might go, hey, I don't want that to be said of, me. I don't want that to be said of Bono Baptist Church. That's, a, that's something you have to deal with yourself. Is that the kind of role you're playing? Using, what can this place do for me instead of what can I bring? What can I give? What can I do? How can I serve? Knowing that God will still meet those needs. God will still bless and take care of you, even more so when you come in and build with costly material, with quality work, with what God has given you. You'll receive even more. One last thing. I was thinking of it this week of a tradition that used to, I used to encounter every year. You know, I grew up in a church, a sizable church, and we had every year... I think starting in second or third grade, we had camp. You know, there was children's camp, then it was youth camp, and we had camps all the time. You know, always going up to camp. I love going to camp. I always loved it except for the morning we were leaving. You know, because camp was great and all the fun stuff. And like any other boy growing up, I mean, I just just like my boys now, the, my living space at camp was an absolute terror, mess, smelly clothes, all that. I mean, just yuck, right? And so the, the day comes to leave, and they say, you got to pack up. And then there's always, it never mattered who was our counselor. It's like they, they practice this line. They always say before they leave, all right, time to clean everything up. We better leave it better than how we found it. I hated that line. 
I hated it because that place had always been clean when we walked in. I'm like, I get a, and so I mean, they were, it was good. I didn't like it then. It was good for me then. I mean, it was good character building. I mean, we're scrubbing the floors and cleaning the toilets and wiping down the mirrors and, you know, all the, looking for all the stuff. And we had to, they wanted to drill and says, hey, you better leave it better than you found it. And they were serious about it. I hated that. But what a good lesson. You never know how long God's going to call you to a specific place, specific task, right? Never know. You never know what God's next plan for you is. Whether it's, you know, he's going to have you serve over here. He's going to do these things. And whether even inside the very church, he may have you serving in this ministry. He may call you, and the same starts over to this ministry. You never know. You know, God, in, in, in my times of serving him as my vocation, as my career, and I've served in four different places. We've, we've had to up and move. Because God has made it evident at times, hey, you're here for a season, and then you're going over here. And God knows how long. I have no idea what God's plan is for me. I mean, he may, he may keep me here 50 years, and I know that makes some of you scared half to death. Or, you know, I don't know. Who knows what God's plan is? That's not my business, right? It's God's. But something that's always on my mind, and I, I, I fight with this, I wrestle with this, and I think it's a good thing. And I want you to do the same thing. With whatever God has called you to do, I want you to carry the attitude in. I want to leave it. The day I'm called to leave it, whether that's moving to a new place or God is calling me home, I want to leave it better than I found it. Hmm. So how are you doing with that? And I'm asking myself the same question. i got to look inwardly and go, Greg, how are you doing with that? And that's an answer for me to deal with in my heart with God. Just like when I challenge you with it, you don't have to come to make an account to me. It's not me standing up here and saying, here, tell me what you've done right and tell me what you've done wrong. I challenge you with God's word for you to go before him and to say, just ask the same question. Am I, where, where God has me, am I doing the work? Am I not relying on somebody else or waiting for somebody else? To do? Am I working in the place God has called me, in my church, in my family? at my job, in whatever roles you carry in your life, in your school? Am I doing the things God has called me to do? And am I aiming to leave it better than when I found it, the day God calls me to the next thing, the day when I go to the next job, the day when I get out of school and, and go to college or whatever you, whatever's next for you, whether I you know, move out of working with the kids and start helping with the youth, what, whatever God has called you to do, am I going to leave it better than I found it? Am I going to be a quality builder? Am I going to help build something that lasts? Or am I going to hope somebody else does it? Friends, that attitude will kill the things around you. If you want to know how a church dies, any church, that's how it happens. Let's not let that happen. Anywhere in Let's go for the Lord together this morning. Let's take a moment to pray, to seek Him and what He's telling us. God, we come for You today thanking You and praising You that You are so patient with us. God, I kind of, I look at myself and how I've kind of 
looked at my kids sometimes, and I must think you look at me the same way. I think sometimes you look at me and say, Greg, didn't I just tell you? <laughs> Greg, didn't I just remind you you're supposed to be doing this and you're back off track again? I know, God, that's exactly what happens. And I thank you for your patience and your love and your forgiveness and your mercy that meets me every time. I, God, I, I'm sorry for the times that I have built with less than quality or the things that perish or the times that I have said somebody else would do it. God, because I am not helping the things around me grow if I have those kind of attitudes. God. I pray that all of us are kind of having a self-examination time. God, I pray that you're speaking individually to hearts because God Everybody's not like me, and I'm not like everybody else. God, we're all in a different place. Some of them may be working hard and giving their best effort and building with such quality, God, and they're, and they're doing great work. God, they just need some encouragement today. Wonderful. There's just that reminder saying, keep at it. Some are struggling. There's some here who probably have failed a few times in some efforts, so they've stopped trying. Some of you even try to stop showing up because it hadn't gone too well in the past. Somebody else will do it. God, let us not get away with that today. God, I pray that you would speak to us and press upon our hearts so hard that we would that we just be broken before you and say, yes, God, it's not going to be based on somebody else. I'm not going to wait for another person. I'm going to seek you, and I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to give everything I have to give. And when I mess up, as I know that I will, I'm going to get right back up and go after it again. Thank you that you carry that kind of loving attitude towards us. That would allow us to do such a thing. God, I pray that the hearts of your people are responsive to your will. We thank you, we praise you by the very powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.